Good morning. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you want to follow along uh, with us, that's uh, where we'll begin. Told uh, Ron and Debbie this week this joke. What do you call a, a, chi- a farmer who, who farms chickens? Chicken tenders. Come on now. Nah, Dick? Nothing? Oh, man. I got a neighbor who uh, farms chickens. He used to. He used to have chickens. He wanted to keep them free range, you know? He wanted them to be able to get out and breathe, you know? He didn't want them cooped up in some small little chicken coop, right? But he had a few obstacles to that. I mean, for, for starters, he lived like real close to Maryville Pike. And so it was a busy road. And, you know, busy road and free range chickens ain't so good, is it? So he had to put a little fence up. And we got coyotes uh, in, our, in our neighborhood. You can hear them at night, can't you, Sue? Do you guys get them over there, Dick? You get uh, those screaming, you know, and you know, you know the coyotes around, so... You know, you got to get the fence a little bit higher. You know, you got to give it some protection so the coyotes don't get those chickens. And we also got chicken hawks, right? So, like, they would swoop down and, and steal his chickens, and they'd snatch them up, right? So he had to keep them so contained and safe that they were no longer free-range chickens, right? The only way to keep them alive was to keep them in this tiny little coop. So he stopped farming chickens. Now today's title of the sermon is in, in, it's called The Promise of Protection. The Promise of Protection. I got a lot of noise coming out. Uh, the Promise of Protection. And maybe when you read that sermon title, you, you pictured in your mind a farmer who's just trying to keep his chickens safe. And I, and I see God in that way. God wants us safe. He wants to keep us protected, right? But I, I want you to actually keep an open mind as we enter into this text. Because I think that you'll see the promise of protection actually looks a little bit different than my neighbor who, who wanted to farm chickens and keep his chickens safe. Let's read this text in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, Finally, brothers, we pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Christ's perseverance. Let's, uh, let's pray together. 
Uh, Father, as we uh, approach your text this morning, your holy word, uh, our prayer is that you'll open up our hearts and our minds, that we might be able to see you uh, clearly, that you might uh, uh, just speak to each one of us individually and to us as a church. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, probably one of the biggest differences between this chicken farmer who wanted to keep his chickens safe, right, and Paul, is Paul doesn't pray for a giant fence to keep him physically protected. Did y'all notice that? He doesn't pray that God will keep him physically protected. In fact, I searched every prayer that Paul ever prayed in the New Testament, and he never once prays for physical protection against evil and wicked men. What he prays for is deliverance. In fact, in a similar prayer, in Romans chapter 15, we see him say, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Listen to what he says. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea, that I might take the contribution to Jerusalem, may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I might come to you and by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The peace of God be with you all. So he doesn't pray that they don't beat him. He doesn't pray that they don't flog him. What he prays is that he can be delivered from their hands so that he can be there with them. And we see that very same thing here. Paul doesn't pray for deliverance from suffering or pain, but deliverance from captivity so that he might continue to do the work of God. The worst thing that could ever happen to Paul was not stoning or flogging or starvation, but the worst thing is for the gospel not to move forward. In fact, even when he prays for that mysterious thorn in the flesh to be removed, to be taken from him, it isn't a prayer against physical harm, but he felt that that was an obstacle to the work of God. And what's my point? This is an incredibly foreign concept to American Christianity. Americans are built, I mean, this place is built on comfort and freedom, right? And many, many Christians across the United States, their desire is to sit in a comfortable pew, listen to the music that they like, and hear a message about how God will bless their already comfortable lives. I might need to say that again. Because I really think that there are many Christians who just want to sit in a comfortable pew, listen to the music they want to hear, hear a message about how God will bless their already comfortable lives. And Paul knows that there will be hardship in life. 
And his prayer isn't for a comfortable life. His prayer is for a gospel that moves. For a gospel that moves. Uh, there's a new worship song out that was just released this year, and I love it. And let me share with you the lyrics. When the road runs dead, you can see a way I don't. And it makes no sense, but you say that's what faith is for. And when I see a flood, the writer says, you see a promise. When I see a grave, you see a door. And when I'm at my end, you see where the future starts. I don't know how you make a way, but I know you will. You've been good on every promise from Eden to Zion. And though there's a dead end, and I'm out of that grave, I don't know how you make a way, but I know you will. Let me share one more verse. When the world's on fire, and it is, it's not like you don't have a plan. And when the earth gives way on this rock, your church will stand. And nothing has ever once surprised you. And nothing has ever made you flinch. And when it all shakes out, listen to this. The gates of hell don't stand a chance. Amen? Our prayer should not be for comfortable lives or even freedom from physical persecution. Our prayer should be that God protects the gospel. That God protects the gospel. Verse 3 says that God is faithful, even when man is unfaithful, right? And he will strengthen, protect us against the evil one. Now here's where we need some protection. And it's spiritual protection. The evil one, look at verse 4, tries to keep us from doing what? Verse 4 says, he will try to keep us from doing what God has commanded us to do. That's what the evil one is trying to do. For the Thessalonians, the evil one had caused confusion and it had caused disunity within their church. In chapter 2, Paul writes that there were some false teachers in 2 Thessalonians 2, that there were some false teachers who were stirring up trouble. And their stirring up trouble had caused the Thessalonians to stop trusting in the gospel. And the Thessalonians were falling away from truth and caused to be this disorder and disunity within their church. And Paul calls the church to do what? To stand firm on the teachings given to them and to unify themselves in the truth. Now, I, I just summarized all of chapter 2 instead of reading it. Please take some time to read through that because what you'll see is exactly what is happening in that church. Paul calling them to unity to stand on the truth of the gospel. Disunity. Man, the evil one's been doing that for ages, hasn't he? I mean, if you take a look at the New Testament, 
What is it full of? Full of Christians fighting Christians. I think it's the evil one's favorite tactic to use in the church. And Jesus did too. That's why he prayed specifically in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his disciples. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, the gospel. That all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And may they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Amen? I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, he repeats it, then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. There it is again. Paul prays that human beings will not physically hinder the movement of the gospel, and Jesus prays that disunity won't spiritually hinder the movement of the gospel. So we want the movement of the gospel. We want people to believe in the truth of who Jesus is. And maybe one day, maybe one day we will face what Christians in India, Christians in the Middle East, Christians in China, maybe one day we will face that kind of persecution. We should be prepared for the physical onslaught and move that gospel forward. But right now, we also need to be concerned about being protected from the evil one who's trying to bring us into disunity. And this one hits home. If you think Cornerstone is currently a unified church, you are not aware of the spiritual war that is happening around us right now. And we don't have to agree on everything. But when those disagreements hinder the focus on the gospel, we're in trouble. The evil one is not at work only at Cornerstone, but within this whole city, causing disunity, hindering the movement of the gospel in the places that need reached. But here's what's important. What's important is that we recognize the disunity in the spiritual war and our prayer be focused on unity again surrounding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't have to be afraid of that. Do you see what Paul says in this final section? He has confidence. He has confidence. Look what he says. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. He has confidence that God will protect them from disunity, from the evil one. Ultimately, we have to have the same confidence in God that our prayers will be answered and that he will bring us as one congregation who are focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Do you have confidence in God? Verse 5 says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Notice, there are two driving forces in the direction God gives us in the way of his Holy Spirit. We are led by the love of God, and we are led by the perseverance of Jesus Christ. And both are symbolized as we gather in unity around the table. Jesus Christ persevered while here on earth to do God's will. It wasn't easy. People physically tried to stop him. The evil one tried to distract him. But Jesus Christ persevered through it all. And the love of God was displayed on the cross. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is a symbol of perseverance and a symbol of love. As uh, my wife goes and gets my son, uh, as we're going to do a special music for you this morning, we're reminded as we hold that bread that Christ gave up his body. And as we hold that juice, we're reminded of a blood that is shed. And the protection that the church really needs is it much like a chicken coop? It's protection of the message of the love and perseverance of Jesus Christ. Let's remember that as we gather in unity around the table. Eli, come on up, and as we prepare uh, to play this song, I encourage you to go to one of these corners and uh, grab the cup with the, the juice and the bread and hold it together. Uh, as we uh, take it uh, together uh, when told. Uh, so let's go ahead and go to those corners.